It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Good to be back for another day, final regular show of the week. Maybe that's a little bit of a tease to the fact that if the game between the Wolves and Thunder is interesting enough tonight, which I imagine it will be, um, I've got designs on doing a special edition Daily Delivery off of that game. Don't want to wait uh, more than two full days to talk about a game that will decide the Wolves' playoff fate um, and more on that in a minute. So look for that quite possibly over the weekend unless this game is just a total clunker. And you will know that. I will know that when and if I see it. Um, plenty of good stuff coming up on today's show, however, um, that we know of for sure. Bob Timmons, excellent outdoors writer and editor for the Star Tribune, will join me here in just a little while to talk about the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing tragic event in 2013. Um, but the, uh, the, it's the 10-year anniversary. The running of the Boston Marathon is Monday, and Bob talked to a lot of Minnesotans who ran that race in 2013 and have either subsequently run it once, twice, many times, and or are running it for sure this year um, to commemorate the, you know, the 10-year anniversary. So great conversation with Bob about kind of the toll that has taken on people um, who, who were there, who ran it before, and, you know, and the hope of, of what, what is to come and the strength of the running community. So Bob and I will chat here in just a few minutes. Got some Kevin O'Connell quarterback talk at the end of today's show. He and Vikings general manager Quasi Adolfo Mensa met with the media on on Thursday for a pre-draft uh, media session. Draft is less than two weeks away now, and so I don't think we gained any like particularly huge insights on uh, on on Thursday. These guys are pretty good at being guarded with information, um, but you know just the way Kevin O'Connell talked through the process of how he looks at quarterbacks and what his preferences might be when looking at quarterbacks I thought was interesting. So I'm going to run that audio and add a little bit of a context to that. But we certainly talked a lot more about that on Thursday's Access Vikings podcast. So go download that as well. Um, And in just a minute here, too, I'll get to some Twins thoughts. Huge win at New York on Thursday. Nine runs in the first inning. First, though, what did I miss? It is Friday. Um... NBA and NHL playoffs start this weekend. I believe the NBA playoffs start Saturday. The NHL playoffs start in just a couple days here. And we still don't know if the Wolves are in, and we still don't know who the Wild are going to play. I think there's very little uncertainty in either league right now, but both sets of uncertainty are impacting the local teams, the Wolves, of course, let's start with them. They play the Thunder tonight in the final Western Conference play-in game. Could have avoided this whole scenario going back to Tuesday if they'd been able to hold a 15-point lead against the Lakers in Los Angeles. But that's done. They could not do that. What's done is done. They lost that game in overtime. Absolutely horrendous crunch time offense. Anthony Edwards talking about how he needs to be better in this game. That is pretty obvious. He was bad in that game. Don't know if there was lingering effects from a pretty hard fall he took on his shoulder. He, he said it was more the Lakers throwing a lot of double teams at him, getting him off of his rhythm. But he seemed in that game to be passing out of a lot of double teams and just did not have the aggressiveness he had. And even when he got single teamed, 
um, was looking to pass. He just was not in the right mode, not in the right attack mode, and that will not suffice for the Wolves in tonight's game. Um, Rudy Gobert, by the way, sounds like he is still dealing with the back issue that kind of started this whole mess, right? Like he he tried to play through it in that finale against the Pelicans, and maybe some of his back problems was contributing to his poor play, his poor play contributing to his dust-up with Kyle Anderson on the bench when Kyle Anderson's telling him, you know, you got to basically play better, and he ends up throwing a punch at Kyle Anderson, gets suspended for that game. Jaden McDaniels punches a wall in that game, totally unrelated, but uh, still silly and dumb both uh both those guys missed the rest of that game missed of course the play-in game against the Lakers with Gobert being suspended McDaniels being injured and so here we are now Gobert saying Thursday he's still dealing with these back spasms that it's getting better but we will see what his effectiveness and overall availability is for this game against uh against the Thunder on uh, on Friday night now the Thunder um it's a team that plays with a lot of pace. The Wolves have played with a lot of pace when they played Oklahoma City earlier this year. So if they have to be without Gobert or have a limited Gobert, this is maybe an opponent where they can get away with it to a degree. But you don't want to be shorthanded. You don't want to be um, you know, down any players. And you know, this is your franchise player. This is one of your franchise players, someone you traded so much to get. And the fact that he might not play in any of these uh, any of these meaningful games down the stretch or that he will be limited that is disappointing so still trying to win this game tonight if they win this game tonight they will open the playoffs Sunday in Denver um, interesting there because the wild the other unknown in all of this they finished their regular season last night uh, game that didn't matter they lost in overtime rested a ton of their regulars they were already locked into the number three seed in the central division which means they are going to face the number two seed problem is we don't know the number two seed because Colorado still has a game tonight if Colorado wins that game Colorado will be the division champ and then the Wild would face the Dallas Stars. If the if, if Colorado does not win this game, from my understanding, and Colorado trails right now by one point behind Dallas, if Colorado does not win that game, Dallas will be the division champ, and the, and the Wild will face Colorado in that first round. So, interestingly enough, this could set up a scenario with, based on outcomes tonight, the Wolves and the Wild could both be opening the playoffs in Colorado, in Denver, in the same arena, by the way. I think it's called Ball Arena now. It used to be Pepsi Pepsi Center, Pepsi Arena. Um, they could both be playing in the same arena because they would both be road teams to start those series uh, starting in just a couple days here. So that piece of it is kind of interesting to me, just the fact that they could be both be playing the same opponent. Um, what's more interesting, though, is that neither one of them know if they're even who they're going to be playing in the playoffs. There's so much uncertainty. We don't know who the Wolves are going to be, if the Wolves are going to be in. We don't know if the Wild are who the Wild are going to be playing, even though everybody else, almost everybody else, has has had their playoff fate settled. So plenty to watch for on this uh, on this uh, on this Friday night of viewing, and uh, so. Keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on where the Wolves wind up if they are able to get in. Keep an eye on who the Wilds' opponent will be. And maybe it'll be a, a Colorado doubleheader. We'll have to see about that. The Twins, by the way, we know who they're playing. They're playing the Yankees, and usually that is not good news. On Thursday, it was excellent news. Nine runs 
in the first inning, the top of the first of that game. Let me just read through how that inning went. Here's the nine-run top of the first. Starts with an Eduard Julian single to right. Carlos Correa infield single to shortstop. Byron Buxton walks. Trevor Larnick sacrifice fly, which uh, scored Julian sent uh, Correa to third. Jose Miranda doubles. Buxton scores. Correa scores. Um, Solano doubles to right. Miranda scores. Um, Nick Gordon grounds out to first. Solano goes to third. Christian Vasquez doubles to center. Solano scores. Michael A. Taylor homers to center field. Vasquez scores. Julian homers to left. Correa homers to right. Center left, right. Three home runs in a row in that inning. Unbelievable. Nine runs for the Twins. And then, of course, uh, Joe Ryan pitches another great game. He is 3-0. and The Twins beat the Yankees 11-2 to in a game that only took two hours and 20 minutes. I kind of jokingly tweeted um, an 11-2 win at New York that only took two hours and 20 minutes. Is this heaven? No, it's the Bronx. Um, wow. That, that outcome... I'm I'm no longer I know I should no longer be surprised I guess by the time of games even if I'm still getting used to it but I am always going to be surprised anytime in the last 20 years or so if the Twins win in New York and this was certainly qualify as a, as as a very lopsided affair so good for them we'll see if they can replicate that if they're going to do it again tonight and get the same pitching that they got from Joe Ryan it's going to have to be another young pitcher Louis Varland taking the place of Kenta Maeda in the rotation tonight. They are skipping Maeda's turn. He's experiencing some just some general um, general fatigue, it sounds like, trying to work through, still coming back from Tommy John surgery. So Louis Varlin was scratched from his start in St. Paul on Thursday, or for St. Paul on Thursday, and he will start instead in Yankee Stadium. He made a start and under similar circumstances last year and pitched pretty well, got into the sixth inning, only gave up two runs. So Twins hoping he can replicate that. Um, sounds like it's just a spot start at this point. And I imagine, I have to imagine that if there's any long-term need for a starter, Bailey Ober has got to be that guy. But Ober just pitched, I think, a couple days ago, so he would not have been in line to make this start. So that is what we know about that. We'll see how Varland fares in this outing, and we'll see how this goes for Kenta Maeda in the near-term future. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy right now to be joined by Bob Timmons, excellent outdoors writer and editor for the Star Tribune. I've known Bob for quite some time, and he's got a great piece online today about the Boston Marathon. Ten years, Bob, um, since the since the the tragic bombing, and just a lot of perspectives from local runners who are who are there and are planning to go back this year. Just thought it was really interesting stuff that, that you were able to to glean and, and put together. So um welcome and, and congrats on, on being able to put that all together. Yeah. Thanks, Ramball. Um yeah, glad to share this. Um and having run Boston, I think I've, you know, I've got a sort of a, a special appreciation for 
all of that landscape and its its uh, effect on people, runners, and the communities, and on and on and on. So yeah, this was this was a uh, a f- interesting story to take on. I will say a lot of the reaction I've had when it first started realized it was a 10 year anniversary yeah. sort of thunderstruck like what it's been 10 years i know I five, five, five five yeah five i might have five i might have uh said oh okay but 10 wow that really kind of floored me in the moment um but yeah you know i um met some of the runners i talked to for this story in fact were ones i talked to in 2014 i did a piece for the star tribune you know one year later and minnesotans who were going back and certainly they're anticipating a year later what had what had changed for them, the you know, security, you know, emotionally how they were doing, um, you know, uh, how it was sort of playing in Minnesota. So, you know, there's certainly I would say, you know, this piece is definitely looks back and gives some context on these sort of overlapping stories of people who were finished or on in the race or Right, you know, all sorts of things, but I really wanted to spin it forward. And what does memory do to behavior? What kind of trauma did maybe some of them still hold that they weren't even aware of? You know, and so kind of plumb that a little bit. And so, yeah, I felt I was, yeah, it was interesting. And uh, and uh, now it's it's certainly exciting to see uh, what comes Monday. So, yeah, and I thought that was the most interesting thing to me was reading through, you know, the it was close to a dozen examples. I'm not sure how many exactly people you had in the story and just, you know, sharing their memories, but also how, how it's affected them in these 10 years since as they've continued to run and now prepare for Boston again, but it, it, it ran the gamut, right? It was, yeah. it was, you know, we all process trauma differently. And so it was, you know, that was reflected in, in the piece. It was not one or two or three ways that this was that this has affected people it's it's all individual to a large degree even if everybody experienced a lot of the same stuff so you know that said there probably were some some common threads in terms of what people remember what their reactions were and and now how they how they feel about it what what stood out to you in terms of either you know kind of that broad spectrum or that kind of shared experience as you reported this i think um well, certainly what, what stood out to me is how um, the detail of memory for people 10 years later and where they were and how they reacted as they were absorbing, you know, what was jubilation and or recovery or um, and how um, right on it they are 10 years later to talk about where they were and how it affected them or friends or the, or being just, you know, family displaced or all these sorts of, um, anecdotes. Um, and then like you, you reference Mike, um, and what I think makes this story powerful is some people, um, you know, a woman, Lisa Kresge Griffin, um, says anytime she hears a loud bang or boom or firecrackers going off, she right. is instantly sort of teleported, <laughs> sent back to thoughts of Boston in, two th- in 2013. Um, I, there were a few of the other runners who talked about um, how it's completely changed how they plan for meeting up with family. Like, don't don't wait for me at a finish line, even if it's Boston or some other race. You know, I'll see you back at the, back at, you know, some way, some place removed from the finish area. 
making sure to have cell phones in their gear bags that they pick up afterwards so they can connect with people. So they all, all sorts of these little um, sort of things that, you know, are top of mind for these runners. Some, there's certainly some though too, who are um, more just sort of one guy even talked about a guy named David uh, Staskavich talked about uh, who, who uh, has a history in the Boston area, certainly affected and, um, and sort of, um, echoing that resilience and that sort of, um, ethos of, you know, we're going to get, we're together in this and we're going to move beyond, but he, he's sort of just bummed about, um, you know, these security layers and what it's, how it's tarnished the race, but very much like, I don't think he'd blink about going back, you know, to Boston and running again, even if he, uh, yeah. So it's just, yeah. That people, people, different people handle it differently. Certainly, that's come through. How do you with the, with all the people you talk to? And I think you said it was at least you know a dozen or so that ran the race in 2013 from Minnesota and are planning to do it again on Monday. And about you know 300 or so Minnesotans who are signed up for Boston this year in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why, why, as you talk to those people, why was it particularly important to go back this year? A lot of them have. That, that did it that did it in 2013 have also done it in previous years but this is you know something does feel significant like you said about 10 years and just the time to reflect and the, the anniversary aspect of it why, why was it important for those who ran it already in that 2013 year to to have done it again since then yeah um and that's it's a i'm glad you raised that because some of the runners um you know some of these uh, minnesota marathoners have been back for every marathon right. since the bombings in 2013. Um, although there's a, another runner um, hasn't done any and uh, and yet things aligned in life and um, things changed over 10 years, but she was like, you know what? I want to be back. You know, the significance of the 10 year, you know, the 10 year anniversary of, of, you know, that horrible, horrible day. Um, so, it's it's kind of mixed mixed there too. Um, again, people who, and the way you know, Mike, you're a runner, and yeah. the way marathoners, you you sort of set your yearly schedule by around racing. You know the 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 drill of it, the discipline. The, and so for many, you know, a lot of these runners, like I'm going back to Boston every year, just like I'm doing Twin Cities every year, what have you. Um, and it's just what they do. Um, but one of you know, I did talk to one runner who thought you know this might be. And she's done many uh, Boston's, but she said, this might be the last one for me. I feel it's important to be there, but um, this might be a good way to sort of move, you know, move on and maybe let go of some of the, you know, maybe even the emotional stuff that sort of is coursing underneath, you know, and that bubbles up this time of year. I've never been to Boston. I've done five marathons. I'm not fast enough, at least not at this point. I've got to get a little older and to have my have my time stay the same, but my age get a little bit different in order to uh, maybe qualify for Boston someday. You said you've run it before. You are definitely faster than me. But uh, as as we kind of talk about the course itself and what's changed, what had to change from that point forward, you reference you know one of the runners being kind of bummed and what's had to change. Um, I imagine just everything that they've had to do to raise security levels. I mean, it, it is it probably does ha- does have a different feel than it ever used to. Yeah, the immediate, uh, I'm generalizing here, but some of the immediate uh, immediate things in effect were um, the sort of screening element, 
you know, um, and now you've suddenly got protected areas where the where runners are going to gather before the start, you know, um, um, and very controlled in terms of uh, the you know transportation to the start. You know, the corrals are always a very organized uh, area at all big races, big public recreational things, but um, I'm, I imagine even more so, right? Um, in, in the subsequent years, uh, things about what you could even bring in your gear bag and the bags had to be transparent. You know, they, they were really limiting uh, what runners, they wanted to be, you know, wanted things visible um, and, uh, and reduced and sort of distilled down. Um, you know, those are the, some of the things top of mind. And I think, I think certainly, you know, places like the Twin Cities, you know, Twin Cities in motion had to certainly straight away was thinking like, okay, what do, what do we have to do here? And there was, there were a lot of big national conversations, you know, in the running industry, which is, which is very tight knit um, about best practices. Where are our holes in security? How do we work better here in the Twin Cities? How do we work better with, St. Paul and Minneapolis, there are already great relationships already. You can imagine just the scale of putting on a big public marathon weekend, right? right. Traffic control, corners, you name it. Um, but it it was a it was a big pivot point, you know, um, for race organizers and uh, as well as obviously, you know, marathoners and uh, the friends and family who follow that that whole community. Yeah, I mean, because uh, marathons, at least as my, as I remember them, and I've definitely like watched Twin Cities since I've done my last one, but it is kind of this kind of free, wide open space almost where everybody just kind of walks down. You can kind of watch the runners and stuff like that. But I imagine that that the feel, anytime something like this happens, even if you can't imagine it ever happening again, even though you couldn't imagine it happening in the first place, it does change you. It does make you kind of almost hyper aware. And I think that's that hyper awareness is a little bit of what some of the runners were talking about. Even those who experienced it with, you know, the start line feels different. The finish line feels different. Mm -hmm. They're looking for different things that they never would have dreamed they were thinking about in in a space like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's more in, in, in reporting the story and, and, uh, talking to, people locally. Um, I connected with Virginia Brophy Ackman, the longtime executive director of Twin Cities in Motion, which puts yeah. on the marathon and a bunch of other races. And we got into that whole context of, okay, what happened at the Twin Cities Marathon in two thousand you know, 2013? And um, you know, what what kind of plant things did you change, planning that went on? And um and she said a lot, you know, a lot of it, um, and you can imagine there were there were maybe there were certainly small things that affected runners, but there were bigger things going on that intentionally runners didn't see in terms of um, working with local law enforcement. Um, and she got into um, how in later years, I think it was like 2016, 2015, 2016, they actually used the Twin Cities Marathon, they meaning law enforcement and um County cities coming together and use the Twin Cities Marathon as sort of a, um, the, I guess you you know quote unquote training ground for the 2017 Super Bowl, hmm. you know like in in terms of the throwing the resources at it a command center that that you know eyes in the sky and um, you know just tightly 
orchestrated, coordinated um, security detail. You, I don't know if you remember it. It's making me think back to, um, you know, I, I do recall uh, the Twin Cities Marathon put up a lot of uh, high fencing. You yep. used to just have that snow fencing coming down the chute on John Ireland. And that was one of the immediate uh, sort of protection security elements. Uh, and it, it very much felt like a, um, an enclosure, you know, they were, and I know, you know, there might've been public people in the public who were sort of ruffled by that, but that was, that was a marker of, of uh, a micro sort of example of larger things going on. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Bob Timmons enjoying this conversation. Maybe a final thought here, just as we spin forward, like you said, like your story does, Monday is the marathon. I mean, everybody's going to experience this marathon differently, just like they all experienced 2013 and the aftermath differently. But how how do you imagine it will feel? It always feels great to finish a marathon. I imagine finishing Boston, especially in this case, will feel particularly good for a lot of these Minnesotans who are running it, especially those who maybe haven't, you know, haven't done a lot of running or, you know, are experiencing Boston for, you know, just a handful of times since, since that fateful day. Yeah. Yeah. Many of, you know, many of the people I've talked to, um, the way runners can be so fixated on a, say a time, um, or, you know, they're going into this Boston, uh, the general sentiment is I want, and I I'm sure this has happened in recent years. I'm going in to experience this race, the, the, the spectators, um, you know, the Hills of Newton, uh, Wellesley College, you know, kisses from the student body lining up to cheer, just just that um, to absorb all that color and not and and really take it in. And especially some who don't know if they're even going to be back. You know, th- if this is their last Boston, they want to uh, appreciate all the things that are true about Boston and have remained true despite you know despite the bombings. You know, April fifteenth, two thousand thirteen. Bob, great stuff as always. Go check out. Bob Timmons story on startribune.com. Imagine this will be in Sunday's print edition. Is that right? Uh, possibly Saturday, but yeah, this okay. weekend. Okay. Sometime this weekend. Well, we'll see <laughs> yeah. where that lands in print. It's always a little bit of a guessing game sometimes, but definitely online right now. Go check that out on startribune.com. Bob Timmons, uh, enjoy the rest of your Enjoy the rest of your day and uh let's 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 hope for the uh, the best possible uh, best possible race on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And uh, I know there will be a lot of interest, too, in in U.S. runners. So great to be with you, Mike. Love talking about this. Take care, Bob. Bye-bye. Always good to catch up with Bob Timmons. He does such a good job writing about the outdoors for the Star Tribune. I remember that. uh, Obviously, all of us, I think anybody especially who's a runner certainly remembers the Boston bombing 10 years ago. But that was right in the midst of when I was kind of running a lot of marathons. I'd run two of them in 2012. And like Bob, like Bob and I said, I'm not fast enough to run Boston or qualify for Boston. But that really, it shook me up in a way, even though it was thousands of miles away from me, just thinking about running a race in, you know, you feel like racing is a, a safe space. You feel like you, you, it's just kind of a, a place where you go. There's this great energy. And so any subsequent race I did after that for at least a little while, that was in the back of my mind, even though I wasn't there. So that kind of vicarious trauma, and I can only imagine what it was like to actually be there. So great job by Bob to kind of capture the emotion of that day and the hope of the of the runners going forward. 
Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said, Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Adolfo Mensa uh, met with the media on Thursday to talk through the Vikings free agency so far, but also to set up the draft coming up. And as as is the case, as you would expect, you know, a lot of the questions were about quarterbacks, not more than half, maybe not even a third, but you know, I'd say seven or eight of the questions were definitely about quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins status, things like that. And I thought that Kevin O'Connell's answers to a couple questions right in a row, kind of right in the middle of the news conference were pretty interesting. He was basically just asked about how he balances in his mind the need to kind of get someone in place if they are going to move on from Kirk Cousins, um, get someone in place now to uh, to be able to be, you know, learn under Cousins versus addressing a need immediately in the draft this year. And then he followed that up by being asked about kind of what, uh, how he kind of assesses quarterbacks who maybe run a different system in college and how that translates to the pro game. So let's run a little bit of that audio from Kevin O'Connell right now. Yeah, I think this kind of coincides with the the previous question about ideally you would love to have that uh, person in that role developing behind a great player like Kirk. But uh, I don't think you ever sacrifice, you know, it being the right player. And regardless of the when, the where, the why, the how, um, you can't sacrifice that because you have to have ultra belief um, and connection on making that decision because it is such an important decision. Um, but I will say, very excited about Kirk in year two and in, in this system. And, and it's been a while since Kirk's been able to say uh, that he gets to come back in in the same system he ran previously with the same play caller. Um, I've had a lot of great dialogue with him about ways we're going to look to fine-tune what we did and grow and improve. So um, that'll be a a big part of 2023 for me, not only as the head coach, but play caller and our offensive staff. Playing the position, you have to have things and traits that you look for that are uh, the things that you think can carry over. Uh, Things like accuracy, things like toughness, things like having the ability to process and see the whole field and uh, you know, read with your feet and eyes. Those things translate. The guys that sometimes naturally do it uh, tend to jump off the tape, uh, whether they're in spread systems or more pro-style systems. But then you can find it. Uh, you can find those subtle snaps where guys do things they may not even know that they were doing in the moment um, that I think translate. And uh, that's one of the cool things why I put so much into every single year since I've been a coach in this league. Uh, really going through a process, a draft evaluation process of the quarterbacks, whether you plan on taking one or not. Um, I think it's important to do. Uh, you never know when you're going to get an opportunity to maybe uh, have a need for a player that comes out this year down the line. Um, so I think it's always good to have a, a starting point of, of how you viewed the player coming into the NFL, regardless of if that's going to be for you or someone else as they kind of go down the road of their career. And again, I don't think there's any state secrets revealed, but I think it's interesting. And I talked with Ben uh, Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer about this at the end of the Access Vikings podcast, just to have out how O'Connell, being a former quarterback, being on that side of the ball his whole life, brings a different perspective to this process than the Vikings have had for quite some time. Um, you know, their last two coaches were defensive coaches, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer and Leslie Frazier, both their last two head coaches. Kevin O'Connell's going to have a lot of input into if and when they take a quarterback, what quarterback he wants, what traits he is looking for. And I'm sure any head coach has input into that. I'm sure even Mike Zimmer has input into what kind of quarterback he wants. 
Kevin O'Connell's got a different perspective. He's played the position. He knows things that he is looking for, subtle things that he's looking for from a quarterback that he wants. So keep that in mind as you think about the Vikings potentially drafting a quarterback this year, whether it's next year, when and if they move on from Kirk Cousins, what is Kevin O'Connell looking for, and how will that play out in any kind of acquisition? That'll do it for me today. Like I said, possibly a special edition coming tonight off of that Wolves-Thunder game. I believe that's an 8.30 p.m. start, so we're going to be up a little bit late, but that's okay. We like staying up late, so check for that if and when that is a game that warrants it. Um, For sure, back on Monday with Royce, we'll have plenty to talk about setting up whatever playoffs are to come. I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for joining me all week. Back at it again on Monday.